0: Hi everyone, I'm Lauren.
1: I'm Tia, and this oh, start again.
0: <laughs> Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm Tia, and welcome to Journey to Transformation.
1: You sounded like you wanted us both to say that at the same time. Yes, <laughs> so, no, no, no. <laughs> I just doesn't. Sure. Okay, today we're gonna talk about. Language and some of the language that we use in the not for profit sector. But as a way of kicking this off, I want to give Lauren a quiz. Oh, I love a quiz. This is an acronym and an initialism quiz. Okay, great. I pulled these from some reports that you yourself have written. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> They're all sector specific. So
0: okay, don't fuck it best.
1: up. All right, you've got a minute. You ready? Yeah. I M A S,
0: I M A S International Mine Action Standards Correct. S A D D. Sex and age disaggregated data. Correct. C D. Country director. Oh.
1: Capacity development. <laughs> <laughs>
0: P-H-P um, Oh my gosh Um People and places Public health promotion oh. Marp M-A-R-P Correct Um Oh Um Many Something something something
1: Most at risk population
0: Oh my gosh W-P-S Women, Peace and Security R and R. Uh, Like Relax and Relief. Relief. Relax and Relief. What's it called?
1: (laughs) Return and
0: Resettlement. Oh, no. And the
1: last one, NGO.
0: Non-governmental organization. National Gas Outlet. Oh. (laughs) I didn't think that was too obvious. (laughs) Okay.
1: Well, you did all right. (laughs) You did all right. You did just just all right <laughs> how was that
0: for you yeah challenging <laughs> I mean uh, you there are some acronyms that unfortunately stay in your head because you're in a particular part of a, a sector or whatnot but uh, there are many others out there that definitely I do not know actually the one that really like was like what is that crazy? Was the most at risk population? Like, <laughs> yeah. come on. Like, that's a phrase, that's a sentence. Like, do we really need to acronym a sentence? Like, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, so, yeah, that one I was a uh, little taken aback by.
1: <laughs> um, I had another one in there, UN.
0: I mean, if I say United Nations, that's not going to be it, is it?
1: Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Username. (laughs) Right. So what did we learn about your terrible performance just then?
0: That it's really hard (laughs) to know what acronyms mean, especially when you're looking from the outside in. I mean, how many terms of references have we looked at where there's a bunch of acronyms in? And when you're looking from the outside, you're going, huh, what? What the hell does that mean? Absolutely. It totally puts you off wanting to work for them.
1: I mean, yes, there's that bit. But, <laughs> I mean, it depends on how good the money is. <laughs> yeah, true. But I think the problem is, is that I decided what those things meant and you had to make decisions and understand what I meant. Yeah, True. And while I think that's probably okay in this context because I'm
0: brown and you're white,
1: it's often the other way around, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and also it kind of made me think about the assumptions that also come with acronyms. I thought that some of them were things I already knew. And so not only is it excluding you, but it's also potentially confusing you if you have other acronyms or initialisms that you work with. It's not confusing me. I made the quiz. (laughs) But you know, but me, like for example, the UN one, it's like I already have acronyms and initialisms in my head built on what I've learned in the sector. So then to throw in another one kind of is a bit destabilizing. It's a bit like, oh gosh, that isn't what I thought it was. And so I think not only is there a danger of feeling excluded, but when people add initialisms and acronyms that are the same or or that you're familiar with, you know, you suddenly like, oh God, here we are again.
1: (laughs) Let's take a one step back and have a conversation about why people might use jargon and shorthand and what the utility of that is. The main one people say is that speed.
0: Yeah, the efficiency. Absolutely. Yep. Maybe that also reflects the pace of things in our sector and that sometimes you need to respond quickly and potentially you need to communicate things to different teams and you need to, I mean, it's not unique to our sector, of course, but definitely I've heard the efficiency piece being one.
1: It's interesting you mentioned that Teams, bit because there very much is like that in group, out group piece that you were sort of getting to just now. Is that sometimes it helps to establish a common language between people? So we have our own language that we speak. Others may perceive that as jargon, but for us, this is a common language that our team speaks amongst itself. And that can be more expeditious from that vantage point. There is probably some benefit
0: where's the line then between it being jargon and it being something that you use because that's the terminology in your sector or in your expertise maybe i don't know if you've got any thoughts on that but i'm thinking like for example i work in monitoring and evaluation i monitor impact evaluate work um, stop it. But with any sector, there, there are certain words that come with what you do, like a theory of change, or maybe if you're working on gender equality assessments, there are certain things that terminology that you use in your technical bubble or in your team anyway. Like, where's the line with that being jargon? Or is it jargon at end anyway? Do you know what I mean? I think it's a perspective issue. Okay.
1: If I don't know what you're talking about, it's jargon. Okay. If we're all on the same page, it's not. Right. And I think that's probably one of the big takeaways for me in thinking about more inclusive language is that we often make the assumption that everybody reading it has the same understanding as we do. So that's, again, this idea of my experience is universal. And if we decenter ourselves from our language and the way that we're communicating... Then perhaps we're a little bit more open to the idea that our experience, the way that we're reading or interpreting text, isn't universal. Mm. Because when you and I are corresponding with each other, for example, using emoji, shorthand, whatever, that is not jargon to us. We're taking shortcuts because it's more expeditious to engage in that way. Right. Because we've established a common language. But when we introduce another person into that dynamic, we don't use that same language. When we bring people on and we're working in a team, for example, you and I generally will sort of switch yeah. our approach and we'll spell things out or we won't take those shortcuts because we appreciate that there's another person who's or a few other people who might be interacting with that space it is jargon for anybody who doesn't understand what you're saying, I think.
0: Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. And then I think at any point, you're just bringing a huge awareness to who's in the room, who you're talking to, and that, you know, there may be 10 people in a meeting, for example, but across those 10 people, their spectrum of understanding and perception of words, jargon, sentences, whatever, may also be different. So again, maybe it just comes back, yeah, to kind of an increased awareness of all those pieces. And I think there's always that danger as well of when jargon meets jargon, or like two technical soups meet, you know, and I'm thinking... Two technical soups. Yeah, so... (laughs) um, (laughs) I know what you're trying to say, but it just sounds really funny when you say two technical soups. So, you know, I mean, for example, if you're working in food security sector, there's going to be lots of acronyms and words that you use. And then if you're working maybe in fundraising or proposal development or in communications, there's probably also lots of words, jargon, things you use, and then how they kind of come together. Yeah. I think it's also a complicated one.
1: Word soup. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> Where we just like whack a bunch of shit together and think that that thing makes sense. And of course it does. You know, I'm not going to lie. I use a few of these myself (laughs) because it gives that kind of appearance of being much more technical and robust when actually if you dig down deep, it's that uh, Gertrude Stein kind of sentiment of there's no there, there. There's no substance to it. There's no character to it. You're just kind of talking. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what I do on this podcast is just sort of talking without maybe necessarily saying loads.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but I agree. What do you mean? Press strongly. I agree. What? Press the strongly (laughs) I agree button right now. (laughs) I'm not gonna push it because it's against me. It's rude. I agree with all of that. (laughs) See, rude. I knew that button would come back. (laughs) But it's an interesting point about the substance thing because it might not have substance. The jargon, the words you're using, but then does it serve another purpose where you're using it to have an appearance of? substance that you're using it to mask the fact you don't know yeah so you know the jargon the acronyms whatever is kind of a you putting yourself out there to say look I know I'm an expert yeah here's a bunch of acronyms and technical jargon yeah. and I want you to perceive me as being clever and yeah. that I know so a bit of a mask really
1: a helpful one to be fair there have been a few times when I I mean more often than not it's in an interview where I've just like <laughs> thrown a bunch of Word. No, it's not word soup. It's word salad. Oh, it's word salad. I don't know. Soup or salad, regardless. Same, same. Well, you just throw a bunch of words out. You somehow gain some legitimacy because you knew how to put X amount of complicated words together.
0: Yeah. But there's a danger in that, right? In that you think that if that does offer legitimacy and it's kind of presumed those who don't, does it serve the other side of that coin? And people think you don't know.
1: Even if you're trying
0: to simplify it, which actually is a good thing. yeah. And there's this association with the simpler you say it, the less clever you are or the less you know. We've had a bit of this challenge, haven't we? Where we've said, look, if one of
1: the requirements as a part of this consultancy project is that we're going to write a 50-page report, then we're going to do our best to write it in plain language where there isn't a budget to have it translated or different learning products developed off the back of it. If you've paid us crazy amounts, (laughs) to do these things, then let's have the most utility that's possible. And so that often means writing it in plain language, Mm. getting rid of jargon. We never use acronyms, tables. We don't use any of that stuff. We write everything out. And I don't really care if it adds an extra page to it. If it means that actually people are able to access it better and understand what it means, because there have been loads of times when, you know, I've been working in this sector for a long time, as have you. I consider myself a reasonably intelligent person, but there have been times when I've read stuff and I've not known what it meant. And I did have a very strong feeling of being...
0: Oops, something just fell down. It's okay, though. No one got hurt. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's a van. It's, it's not gonna fall very far <laughs> for zones. <those. laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, I've had that really strong feeling of being alienated or not understanding, or feeling that if I did ask what it meant, that it meant that there was something deficient about me. So for example, a project that we're working on at the moment, I came across the acronym Capital R, Capital R, Capital R, Capital L, lowercase I. Uh
0: Royal Nope. Rag. Nope. <laughs> real <laughs> resonance, R- right? No,
1: none mm. of those words.
0: Uh, I feel very <laughs> Jewish. Yeah. I know that feeling. Yeah. I've totally had it. And even as an English language speaker, which comes with a huge amount of privilege, at least you're able to communicate all of those things clearly and, and maybe draw from a wider vocabulary because it's your native language. Yep. But 100% I've had that feeling of... I've got to write a report for an organisation and they've used lots of acronyms before. Yeah. I don't know what they mean. How am I drawing them in? How am I, even if I know what the acronym means, how then am I using it properly in a sentence because I'm not familiar with this technical term? Yeah. Absolutely. 100%.
1: Should I tell you what it is? Yes. No, I'm not going to. Oh. <laughs> See, you're just going to have to feel sad about it because you don't know and you're going to have to look it up, which is what I had to do. I had to go all over the Google machine and look it up and figure it out. And that's kind of the point, right? Is that it mm-hmm. takes time for somebody to figure out what that means. Yeah. And just as a little bit of an aside, when I was younger, I took a speed reading course for the summer. This cool. was, well, no, I didn't want to. I think this is just like my mom's way of getting rid of me for the summer, but I would go to this place and they would teach you how to speed read. I think I was like 13 or something. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I mean... Now you know where this high achieving attitude comes from.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, save my thoughts outside of the podcast. Go on. <laughs> okay. So uh, if
1: you've got questions, you can call my mom. I'll give you a you phone number. But one of the things that I remember taking away from that is that when we're reading something, if we come across a word that we don't understand, the best thing that you can do is to stop and figure out what that means. Because in terms of what your brain does, is your brain kind of gets frozen in that moment in time. So that everything that you read past that thing that you didn't understand, you're not pulling that in as much because your brain is still stuck on that thing you didn't mm. get. So when you're reading, it's best to stop, look it up, go through, figure out what it is that you're looking at, and then pick up and carry on where you go. Otherwise, in terms of like a cognitive load perspective, your brain's just going to have a really hard time picking up everything else that came after that moment because it's frozen in time.
0: Yeah, I can totally see that.
1: And so for me, when I come across an acronym or an initialism or phraseology that I don't, I mean, all of that, to be fair, is a kind of jargon, right? So if I come across a bunch of letters that I don't know what it is or words in a particular combination that I don't know what that means or what it's supposed to be saying, unless I look it up in that moment, my brain's going to be stuck in that.
0: Yeah, I can totally see that. And then also your ability to, you know, maybe something you're reading has lots of phraseology, jargon, stuff you have to look up. And then your ability to remember that, yeah. you know, as you're, as you're reading through, maybe there's something on page one and now you're on page eight. Oh, I can't remember exactly. Let me just go back and look. Like totally takes away from your need to understand and to really get to grips with what it is you're reading.
1: And some people will say, well, it's fine for us to use initialisms or acronyms because we've got a table of acronyms. But tell me how often you've gone back and looked
0: at that table. Yeah.
1: If you don't know, you just kind of keep trying to truck through it, right? how
0: through,
1: yeah, 100%. It's not like people aren't going back to it, particularly if it's something like a PDF and you're reading it online. Portable document yeah. file, just so we stay consistent. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean, PDF is so embedded in our daily word
1: use. Yeah, well, that's what it means, everyone. You're welcome. We try to, <laughs> We try to help people on their learning journey. I guess there's probably a darker piece around acronyms initialisms and jargon that has to do with us as human beings and the way that we connect to each other right Mm -hmm. so when we're using this language it's on the positive side that we were talking about before it's used to reinforce our bond and our dynamic but alternatively it could be used to exclude or overlay a type of dynamic or identity onto other people which is the surprise colonialism which we always talk about right right
0: overlay it in a. in what sense do you mean sort of you know othering like here's the power we have reinforced by the language and acronyms that we use use it
1: or perish is the extension of that, right? So if I have a language that I'm using in my organization, we'll take one step back from colonialism because we're always kind of finding ourselves in that space. Because it affects everything. Yeah, it's just everywhere. Ugh. Gross. we you talking about it in the tennis. <laughs> <laughs> it's even in Wimbledon. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if I'm saying I am... No, well, let's make it you. You have come in as a power holder, you're using a particular language and you're forcing me to use that language to engage with you, you're then embedding and reinforcing that language in the way that I talk to you, but also long-term, the way in which I engage with other people. We may not use that language.
0: 100%. 100%. That makes complete sense. And then it's kind of a bit of a slap in the face if you're also misusing the language you're forcing other people to use. What do you mean? I mean, like... We touched on earlier that people might use it as a bit of a radar to cover what they do or don't know in a way to appear like they're an expert, which I imagine to a large extent could lead to total misuse of the word, which is problematic, which is then a slap in the face if not only are you misusing it, but you're forcing other people to use a language that you yourself are bullshitting about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The whole othering, forcing the use of language is kind of, I think, where the non-profit sector is at, right? a somewhat reflection on, here's a whole system that we created in a whole language that's only designed for the power holders. Absolutely.
1: I mean, you, you accidentally create in-groups and out-groups. You know, when we do consultancies, it is very helpful when they give us a bit of a lexicon or a bit of a thing that says, here are the acronyms that we use, so you know what we are talking about. Yeah. Which is great, and it's fine, and that's very, very helpful But the point about that is that you're drawing us into your in-group. What about your beneficiaries? What about your other stakeholders who may not be part of that group? are you similarly passing out this same document to them to help them understand the language that you're using? Because it's not just stuff that happens within internal communications. It's also stuff that I see in external communications of kind of shortcuts or ways that we're describing things, which actually still may be reinforcing these power dynamics and making the way that we're talking less accessible, particularly for non-native English speakers. And there's really easy you know, there's there's very simple ways that we do it when we say, you know, NGO in French is O-N-G, for example. It doesn't completely translate. So if we're always saying NGO, 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 we're creating additional cognitive burden for French speakers to know what that means. And that just continues to reinforce the primacy of the English language. Whereas, you know, what if we all just said non-governmental organization and we all know what that means or... Organization that isn't the government. Yeah. For example.
0: Yeah. Very, very fair. If only we were all saying that. I know. I don't know why people don't listen to us. <laughs> I mean, you've got me thinking also, you know, we're working or in the RNJ sector. Or um, (laughs) um,
1: I think by saying not-for-profit or non-profit, I think that's clear enough. But that is also an assumption that that is clear too.
0: Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like we're never asking people, what does this word mean to you before we use it? Yeah. There's always an assumption. Any word, literally anything that we use, charity, non-profit, volunteer, writing a report whatever we expect people to just roll with it without understanding what it means to people.
1: And I wonder if to a certain extent, it means that we also aren't as clear on that and what it means. So you and I have had conversations where we're both to each other, like, but what does that mean? Mm. And where both of us have at different times said, "Well, oh, actually, I'm not sure. And it's because we're just so used to saying things in a particular way and assuming that that has shared meaning And that means the same thing that it does for me as it does for you. And that's sometimes, all the
0: time, not the case. This is really enlightening because I think that that is hitting the nail on the head. I should kind of want to check out that phrase, hitting the nail on the head. I have
1: another point about uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those things. <laughs>
0: but I really like that point because you're right. There are words that we use a lot in this podcast in our consultancy work. And, you know, we go into it with gusto or work being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, oh, hang on a minute. Actually, I don't know. And there's a humility in us realizing that actually that thing means different things to both of us, even though we've both been a nonprofit sector for a long time actually, these things mean different things to us, which we should probably be more aware of in that these words are different to everyone we interact with in our life, really.
1: Absolutely. The thing you're touching on is, I mean, without being overdramatic, is basically the centerpiece of human societies: <laughs> The way we interact, the language that we use, some of the ways that we enter into conflict can be the result of the ways that we assign different meaning to different words that we use. Mm -hmm. How we speak is rooted in the cultures that we're speaking from. And that culture can be our own culture as human people, but it can also be the cultures of our organization. So if we're used to speaking in a particular way, then maybe within an organization, maybe other organizations perhaps are used to speaking in a different way. So we haven't necessarily always accounted for that. But I do think that there is something that's really rooted in us as human beings—the language that we use and the way that we talk to each other, and what we're sort of touching on on a deeper societal level.
0: Yeah, it kind of makes me think that we need some linguists or some anthropologists, some very cunning linguists, Ethnographists. Do you know where that's from? Huh? I said some very cunning linguists. Yeah, I do know that's from. Where is that from? You said you knew where it's from. Well, I don't know. <laughs> it's from Cabaret is it yeah okay i didn't know then that's a very thinking.
1: cunning linguist mm-hmm. what does it sound like to you
0: yeah exactly that's, okay. where, I th- that's where i thought I was like,
1: uh... yeah maybe we just alienated some people but it's also a reference to cunnilingus so <laughs> if you don't know what that is we're just going to ask you to look it up
0: <laughs> just taking this to a whole new level I totally forgot what I was going to say.
1: <laughs> we need to get some cunning linguists in.
0: Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, maybe some linguists or some anthropologists to study the way that the sector or nonprofits use language and ways to kind of unpack a little bit <laughs> the blockages of how we've really embedded and got so used to using some of it. We don't need to do that. I can tell you how to do that. I know, I know, but still. Sometimes <laughs> the alternative angle... Is interesting. Okay. Um, And I'm talking about anthropologists from somewhere else that's not the UK, Europe or the US. Yes. The other thing that I was thinking about in terms of language is I used the word touched and touching earlier. And Mm. I was like, I don't want to use it. And then you instantly used the word touching on. Mm? I think there's an interesting piece there in terms of how much you influence other people using language in the spaces that you're in and that you're less aware of. You colonize to my brain. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like you use these words and you say it and then kind of by accident, you're just kind of consuming these things unintentionally and then you're using that language. You know, it's often when I use certain words you'll hear one person say it, I don't know, movement building comes to mind and then suddenly everyone's using the word movement building.
1: You know what we use a lot? anchored is it we often describe things as being anchored to something else <laughs> and then we also use the word surface like yeah surfacing for example is another word that we like to use a lot between the two of us yeah they're all over our reports i oh do it's almost like a linguistic fingerprint it's a useful reflection i think for us in making sure that the things that we're saying and the way that we're talking about them one we are clear on what that means but also maybe the overuse is just else like
0: a bit boring yeah try and change it up you hang out with some new people rude <laughs> what happens when your organization's name is an acronym
1: <laughs> oh are oh, you change it to an acronym yeah it's hi yeah.
0: yeah what happens then Does it matter? Are you jargonizing everyone with your name?
1: (laughs) I think there are instances when it is okay to use an acronym Mm -hmm. or an initialism. And that is where evidence suggests that your reader knows what that means. Okay. So we've used it before in reports when we've said wash, water, sanitation, and hygiene. When we know that the primary consumer is going to be people within that organization, we've sometimes just used that as opposed to writing out water sanitation and hygiene
0: Mm. over
1: and over and over again, because evidence primarily suggests that the consumer of that product is going to be those people. So I think that if you know whoever's reading that thing or seeing it, you have evidence to suggest that they know what it means. I think it's okay But in an instance where you're an organization and you're introducing yourself to people who don't know you, it's a bit tricky.
0: Yeah. H.I. is an interesting one because they were H.I. before, but they were Handicap International, right? Mm -hmm. Which was problematic in other ways and now they're still hi but it's humanity and inclusion so then they've changed their name but they're still hi because i guess in some ways the public or people they know might be familiar with this hi but then humanity inclusion is also kind of an important change what's a h what's a h hmm? what do you mean you're saying hi hi yeah
1: do you mean h hi you mean h
0: Hey, <laughs> Yes, yeah. People know the Red Cross, I suppose, quite well.
1: Yeah, but you don't know the International Committee for the Red Cross. You know the Red Cross. Yeah, You are, like, true. local Red Cross.
0: True, that is true. Oxfam. Oxford Famine. 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 Famine.
1: <laughs> Oxford Famine. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where that came from.
0: Like, the Oxford Famine famine organization or I didn't know it? that so that's what Oxfam is short for yeah oh really but now they're just Oxfam right I don't yeah. even think that's considered what would that be it's not an acronym it's like a mashup of two words really but I don't think they even associate with that anymore should
1: we start writing them in the language of their ancestors <laughs>
0: <laughs> dear
1: Oxford Famine <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm glad
1: you told me that that's funny
0: is there anyone else I'm just curious there's loads yeah a VSO
1: BSO, Voluntary Services Overseas. FCDO and the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office. Yeah. It's a fun game. I think that there's a real benefit for us adopting an approach that's more about inclusive language and getting rid of all of that stuff.
0: Agreed. The only time, so one thing comes to mind where I was appreciative of an acronym and that was only when my job title took me five minutes to say <laughs>
1: global monitoring, evaluation, accountability, Research and, learn and learning. It. It. Yeah.
0: manager. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you, you know,
1: <laughs>
0: I don't have five minutes <laughs> just to explain my job title and what it is.
1: But there in itself is part of the reason why people use jargon, is you don't have five minutes, but somebody else may not have the five minutes it's going to take them to Google it. So, yeah, yeah that's very who's fair. It, who's it for? Yeah, exactly. Stop reinforcing your own power.
0: Oh, well, oh, time for so t- Everywhere.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I think that's kind of the the main point, right? Is the reason we use shortcuts in our language is to save time. But the important bit is about who you're saving the time for.
0: Yeah, definitely. hundred percent.
1: So if people want to be more inclusive in their language, what can they do? What have you learned, Lauren?
0: I think just widen your mind to your interpretation of common words like impact yeah are are not going to be the same for everybody so ask what does impact mean to you Yeah, and don't be afraid to ask that even if you've been in your team for years or Mm -hmm. however long and you've been working and having the same relationships with these people because maybe that conversation just hasn't come up maybe you've become more attuned to it so ask what does impact mean to you? What does civil society mean to you? What does, you know, Can we have this conversation gender before? mean to you?
1: you know, <laughs> What's the difference between civil society and a, yeah.
0: Well, you know, all of yeah. it, even words that you've been using for a long time, maybe gender, human rights. We all know that these words have different interpretations. So let's not assume yeah. and let's get more familiar with just asking, what does this word mean to you? And then not assume that people want to talk about it and are willing to talk about it in your meeting or something. Like, mm. I think there's also assumptions that, you know, this person might be a gender expert and therefore they can talk about gender. But but actually, let's go back a step and start, well, what does gender mean to you? Are you comfortable talking about this word and this term and what that means to you in a space with lots of other people where it might mean different things? And I think for us as consultants, there's also perhaps a responsibility in us to understand who's using the terms at what level and how within that organization. Because we, well, I come with my own assumptions about these words from my experiences. Don't speak
1: for me. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know and then we rock in and we work for organizations that have been using terms for a long time and have different layers and we interact with leadership with different teams with partners with such a range of people in these evaluations and there's always a, a responsibility i suppose for, on us to understand how people interpret these things
1: so i think one of the takeaways for people to adopt is to describe the thing that you mean so don't assume that because you've used that, word, that is enough because your organization will have its own cultural definition of that thing. And assuming that everybody is on the same page with what that means is not a good way to go because we've just given loads of examples as to why people may interpret things differently. So describing the thing, like what it is that you mean when you use this term And not in a list of acronyms, but just instead of, you know, saying this, use the phrase or the term and then say by this we mean and then continuing to describe it.
0: Although on the flip side of that, I have also seen an obsession with defining words and and really needing to like obsessively come to a very concrete definition. And that comes from very much a space that, you know, if I'm going to monitor something or understand how something influenced something else... I need to understand what it is I'm monitoring or measuring in a more concrete way. So I think there has to be more space for a fluid. But what's wrong with that? I guess what's wrong with it is like the concrete definition that's often created is from the perspective of somebody sitting in a headquarters office often. That it is defined yeah. is the point. Like, okay. of course,
1: there's always within yeah. that who is making that decision yeah but in terms of like the actual principle for me of saying this is what we're saying when we say this and this is how we understand it that principle in itself feels fine to me okay you don't have to agree with me even though i'm right (laughs)
0: I don't necessarily wholly agree. I think yes, in principle, that's great. But I think sometimes I've also found different interpretations and definitions across teams that interact with how an organization puts out what that definition is publicly. And there can be contradictions and differing things across teams or across partners that can cause more confusion sometimes. So I think there's a balance between having definitions and this is what we understand by things and then making almost like an internal campaign and awareness around how this changes for who, where, when.
1: For me, the simplest way of describing the suggestion here is don't take your words for granted.
0: Yes, definitely. 100%.
1: When you're communicating, figure out what it is that you mean and that everybody else is on the same page with what you mean.
0: There are also, like, words and phrases and jargon that come from your outside experiences or culturally things that come into organizations. Like, for example, moving the needle or my bandwidth is low or, you know, these kinds of things. Or getting to second base. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, this also adds another layer because that might necessarily be born out of, like, your organizational culture, but maybe things you've seen in social media or on the news and, like, then how that is brought in and (laughs) intersects.
1: We've got a lot of these phrases, metaphors, idioms that we use that don't necessarily resonate with everyone. And I think it's really important if we're trying to be clear about what we mean to avoid using them because it may not make sense to somebody else.
0: Yeah. And I think the English language, and at least in Britain, we're terrible, not terrible, but we do have a lot of idioms. Yeah. A lot of things we just drop in and assume that people understand. Spilling the tea.
1: (laughs) <laughs> okay hard burn <laughs> hard burn hard burn because that's one we use okay we'll get rid
0: of it <laughs> walking on eggshells yeah okay
1: we say that a lot because we talk about how we're never going to do that but <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah yeah and again, it's that idea of really centering your own experience as universal. And that's sort of one of the things that we're often talking about is that just because you feel it in that way, doesn't mean that everybody feels it in that way or everybody experiences it in that way. So it's really about having to put yourself into the shoes of somebody else. And does, does it actually make sense? What do people do? Think about the reader and the listener. And think about what they need and the way they might interact with that content, I think, is one of the biggest ways that you do it. So, you know, if you've got, we're always talking about reports and stuff, like 50-page reports in the English language. One of the things that we put in our limitations in a lot of the long-form reports that we do is the length of the document and how long it would take a native English speaker to read it. Yeah. And that that's problematic.
0: <laughs> yeah, hugely. Hence why we often try and diversify the ways in which we share our findings and um, evidence that we've found.
1: It's okay to use abbreviations Yeah, where you've got evidence that your readers understand and know what that means.
0: And maybe there's a key point there in looking back at the evidence you have to understand that your audience knows or not. How much of us spend time really saying, you know, this report is for this audience what do they know what don't they know i mean i have never heard that conversation absolutely i would say the other one is
1: defaulting to writing things out just from a practical perspective
0: what do you mean by that
1: don't let your first instinct be to use acronyms initialisms and to go backwards that the first thing you do is to write things out full sentence and describing what it is that you mean So that's your starting place. And then based on what you know about your audience, you can refine from that point. But getting into the real habit of the first thing that you do is just to write stuff out in its entirety. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think perhaps behind all of this is bringing an awareness and almost like an internal campaign to to changing this across different teams. And the more you notice it, the more you can draw attention to other teams or the people using it. And the more you can normalize the word, I don't understand, or sorry, could you just explain to me what you mean? Yeah, Because the more those questions are normalized, the more comfortable other people are going to feel asking those questions at any point they been with an organization and again maybe that comes back to leadership leading the way a bit on that yeah i mean how humbling to have a ceo or a leader be like i'm sorry i don't understand what you mean and confronting yeah (laughs) (laughs) how much do we
1: pay (laughs) i don't know what you're saying yeah i think at the end of the day if we just recognize the fact that using shortcuts for language creates a mental tax on someone It requires additional cognitive energy for them to try and figure out what the fuck you're trying to say. And if that's the case, why don't you just make it easier so that you're not leaving anything open to interpretation. You're just saying exactly what it is that you want to say.
0: Yeah. And ultimately, you're not achieving your goal, right? Your message is not getting across. If you work in campaigns, advocacy, fundraising, whatever, there's a message that you want to get across ultimately. And so you're failing at the first hurdle. Yeah. First hurdle. Is that my phrase?
1: Yep. That's one. <laughs> Good job. Yay. It's kind of sport, It's sports one. Yeah. I mean, all of this, uh, the conversation that we're having right now is in the context of how you make the English language simpler for a range of audiences and avoiding technical language and avoiding jargon so that it's really clear for the reader. And especially, you know, in the quiz we did today, you are fairly competent with the English language. (laughs) (laughs) French, on the other hand. (laughs) But there's things that I'm thinking one thing about what it means, and you're thinking a completely different thing. And so I think even if you've got people and your colleagues and you work together loads, you may still have completely different understandings of what it is that the person is talking about. So in order to avoid any misunderstanding, it's just really good to just write it out. You think what you're doing is saving time for yourself, but what you're doing is just shifting cognitive burden onto somebody else. And you can create this feeling of the technical phrase is linguistic alienation. But what it means is that because of the language that's used and the way it's being used, you're compressing a bunch of feelings or experiences or emotions. And it may be more difficult for another person to understand what that means because of that kind of compressing and consolidating.
0: Yeah, definitely
1: especially in the work that we do where we're talking about complex social challenges. You know, at the end of the day, the way that we're communicating with each other, it has a real opportunity to bring us together. You know, when everybody's, I'll use another one, singing from the same hymn sheet. You know, when everybody's together speaking the same social language, it feels really good because you know that everyone's, here's another one, on the same page, (laughs) everyone feels together moving in the same direction together because everybody understands what's being said. But we also have the problem of the opposite happening, which in as much as the language that we use as organizations can bind us together, it can also really alienate people and create that in-group, out-group dynamic where people feel excluded from what's happening they don't understand and as you were talking about just now it may be much harder for them to say when they can't and you just create these sort of feelings of inferiority and alienation yeah shame. because it's really yeah. shame because it's really hard to say when you don't know there have been times especially when I've been sitting in meetings and I haven't fully understood what people have been talking about and yeah, because they're using a say. stream of words I don't understand
0: and also there's not always the time given to people to say i don't understand or to ask questions sometimes you're thrown into a meeting where it's all very technical people seem to know what they're talking about and you come out going huh because it was just you know you you don't want to interrupt you don't want to write in a comment and so again leaning on people just to pause and say do people understand do people have any questions yeah And I've heard, I can't remember where I read this, but sometimes do you have any questions is not the right thing to say because then people won't start saying something. You know, they won't. And you kind of phrase it as what's your question about this? So then people respond to a more directive, I have, you know, I have a question kind of thing, rather than does anyone have any questions? No, okay. Yeah. What's your thought on, I don't know, something a bit more directive, I think.
1: It's the problem with the yes or no question as well, Mm -hmm. isn't it? I think that's a good... Finding a more open-ended question to ask, and mm. then asking it at different points in mm. a workshop or a session, for example, because we always hear it being asked at the end when you just want to get the fuck off that call.
0: Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And it's kind of where you know we use a lot Slido or places where people can anonymously comment, and I think that's really good. Coming from a space where I'm pretty shy in, in meetings where I feel intimidated,
1: she says on a podcast.
0: <laughs> so that I, there's a space where I can ask anonymously and not feel that I'm being left out or pointed out for not understanding. I'm not on my own. You you want to feel that. It's not just me. And I
1: think just kind of going back to this piece about we're talking a lot about how people may feel alienated within the same language. The challenges are even bigger when you're working across languages, which I think we probably should spend some time on in another episode about, for example, cross-language research or what it's like for people attending meetings or being in a meeting where you've got multiple languages happening and the types of cognitive processing that happen for people in that space and the way that we can be a bit more inclusive as native English speakers, understanding that our language is very dominant in the not-for-profit space, especially when we're working in international, non-governmental Organizations,
0: Yeah, so. we 100% need to do another episode on that and where, like, jargon, phrases, words, terms, as you already mentioned, perhaps mean something different in other languages. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Okay, so I feel we've got
0: some good takeaways for people. Yeah, I've definitely. Really that. Thank oh. you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cut out the definitely and just pause until you press the button. Yeah, that was really interesting. And I think language jargon, phraseology… I think there's so much to unpack and people just kind of, or at least I often assumed, okay, we need to be more aware of it. There's not a lot to talk about. But when you actually delve into all the kinds of words, jargons we use. I think this is a really useful episode.
1: Good, Yeah, I think we've got some work to do as well in Definitely. our approach. And um, yeah, let us know if are things that you're doing or techniques or approaches that you
0: do. But, you know, in short, just don't center yourself. And you're, send not the, us- you're not the universe. <laughs> <laughs> and send us any uh, crazy acronyms or initialisms that you've come across. We're keen to see the wildest ones. I mean, I came across LNOB the other day. Leave no one behind. Yeah, yeah. wild. Um, but maybe maybe this is what they actually meant. The language jargon. <laughs> Leave no one behind. That <laughs> anyway, one, I don't like that one. <laughs> Stop that up your <laughs> <ass>. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> right. Well, I'm Tia. I'm Lauren. And this has been the journey to transformation. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burroughs. Our music comes from Praz Canal.